0: How are you? Good morning. What's going on?
1: Good. I mean, yeah. I, I did order
0: Threads. <laughs> threads has come out on Blu-ray, folks. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I mean, I'm never going to watch Threads. Um I think that's pretty clear at this stage. You know, it's been so many years we've been talking about it. It's been, you know, probably about 20 years since I found out about it. Uh, it isn't happening. Um because I'm now past the point in my life where I want to watch programs that make me feel worse. Yeah, and the thing with threads is that no matter how bad you imagine it to be,
1: like, uh, <laughs> depressing-wise, there's absolutely no way to prepare you because I've, I haven't have seen anything like it since that kind of manages to hit the same highs in, like, layers and layers and layers of stuff that's happening and kind of hitting you at the same time and just makes you think, wow, nuclear war, it's uh, miserable beyond comprehension, <laughs> but Yeah. They and managed to summarise
0: it pretty well. And <laughs> I mean really there's there's one purpose for making a program like this that makes everyone who watched it just feel like it's the worst experience ever had. And that is as a deterrent. You yeah. know, to spread the word of how you shouldn't do nuclear war. And, but of course we don't have the power to act on that deterrent. And I feel as if if you showed it to Donald Trump. He would just go cool and do a nuclear war.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, I I think he has enough uh, humanity to realize that. I mean, it's convincing enough in its argument. The way it's presented is there's like breaks here and there for just Uh objective stats. It throws at you and kind of it it explains in kind of time skips with text overlay saying that oh, this is what happens now in this stage. uh, Oh, interesting. uh, human existence after a nuclear war. So uh, let's see, like (laughs) the the breakdown of order and looting and police are kind of trying to crack down. So they're wandering around with death squads, shooting people. It's (laughs) yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And you can tell that it was just made by people who were just trying to seriously explain the ramifications of nuclear war on human civilization in as a realistic and kind of science-based way possible Right. and uh, kind of showing the what life on the ground would be like which is uh yeah
0: the, it would be the destruction of civilization and humanity as we know it <laughs> yeah it's a it's a noble thing to do and it's very old school it's a bbc isn't it yeah and it's a very old school bbc thing to do and if it was itv or something then it's copying that because um there was a mandate to educate uh, with the BBC, which they've just decided to ignore. But they had this; they had to do. It, it was something they had to do. They had to be like half educational, half entertaining, in order to keep the TV license that funds them. Yeah. And um, this sounds like you know, it's it's on the educational side of things, as opposed to the entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely educational, and uh, that's why
1: it feels so admirably well done. It's so impressive mm-hmm. because they took it really seriously. It, it in no way does it feel like it takes uh, shortcuts to be uh, melodramatic or yeah. like amping it up too much in, in an unfair way because we have the uh, kind of the objective text stuff that shows up and uh, just kind of lays the groundwork for and f- frames it very well. So mm. it is an amazing bit of filmmaking, I feel like. It is really, really good. And mm-hmm. it's also
0: amazingly depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, I will watch it but like not not right now while things are they are where the way they are now, you know? Well, it might cheer you up. It ah. it, it could make you think like yeah, well, things could be worse. I mean, look at this. <laughs> true, true. Um no, I think I think I want someone who I regard to have basic common sense to be in charge of the nuclear war button before I'll, before I'll really fully educate myself on what would happen if he pressed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, an example of it, the attention to detail they show in it. I mean, it, it, there are time skips, and later on, uh, it shows like a couple of generations down. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? They've made up new accents for people because uh, wow. civilization has kind of fractured into uh, mm. like an older style of uh, being more like local towns uh, where people's accents are developing in new ways. So when people speak, it's almost incomprehensible. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. cool. Cool. Yeah. Anyway. So that's being remastered. Yeah. Sticking with remastered news, um, the the White Album came out um, this week. Uh, The the Beatles' famous White Album. Again? It's a tricky one. (laughs) Say again? Again? Again. Well, this is something I'm really interested in um, because several years ago, about maybe ten years ago, Cirque de Soleil, the the circus troupe, um, the sort of artisan circus troupe, um, <laughs> set up a show in Las Vegas, Las, Ve- Las Vegas, um, about like Beat the Beatles, and they 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 came up with this revolutionary sound system. I believe every seat in the audience had like seven speakers in it, or something like that. And what they did was they got the um the son of the 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 guy who was the Beatles, I forget manager or producer or whatever he was. Um, who is himself an audio producer guy, and they gave him access to the whole vault of, like, Beatles tapes. So, you know, rather than just, like, oh, here's the record we've all got, he had the the individual stems, the tracks, and he could pull it all out. And what he did was he, t- he took it all, digitized it all, unless it was already digitized, but he took it all, and he rebuilt the songs using bits from other songs to make this kind of weird Beatles-y soundscape where everything you're hearing is a bit different to the real songs, but all recognizable and it's like it's almost like a mashup album um and um and he did this and while he was at it he went look at the way that the old beatles records were produced so the way they were produced was this is what really interests me because it's like an audio nerd thing okay mm. they were re- they were recorded and mixed and produced in mono because stereo was just a gimmick in those days and I guess the people who did the Beatles records were like, "Oh no, we're old school. We do this properly."
1: Yeah, and funny enough, uh, we're moving back towards that because there's a lot of people who listen to music only
0: through either phone speakers or—oh my blu- god, you're right—Bluetooth speakers. Hmm. You're right there. Okay, so yeah, you're right. So probably music production is going to at least—I imagine they at least hit that mono filter button while they're mixing. But anyway, um, maybe they, maybe music producers actually like. You know how you imagine a music producer with a big mixing desk and big speakers. I wonder if they also then have, like, an iPhone that they play it out of as they're working to see how it sounds. Yeah, there's a few tests they go through. Like, they, they test it through um, car speakers. Ah, wow. Well, they didn't test it through mine. Mine's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, the Beatles records were mixed in mono, including, like, later on when, when stereo was a thing, they always mixed for mono and when they and they did bring them out in stereo even back in the day but the way they did it was having gone through all of the painstaking work of like no this voice up a bit that piano down a bit mix 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 get it absolutely right they then just threw that that the tapes at an intern and went do a stereo one and the the intern went okay left left right right print and so for years we whenever you listen to the beatles in stereo it's which is the default because you know stereo is the default it's always been this lazy no effort like nothing mix and it it isn't good and fans of the beatles have all been like hey listen to them in mono it's really good and of course we're all like um no well i did a few years ago and yeah they're way better if the records are they they, honestly they sound so much more kind of modern obviously not on headphones you have to have them on speakers where the acoustics of the room kind of you know, separates out the sound a bit by itself so that you're not listening to like a mono flat channel. But listen on speakers, they do sound punchier. Well, when he was re- mixing the Love album, which t- was the soundtrack to this show, but it came out as an album as well, he was like, let's see if we can fix some of that with the songs that I'm doing here. So there's a couple of songs on there that are just straight the old song. Um, and one of them is, um, oh gosh, what what is it? It's the um, I'm the Walrus, right? In the, the I'm the Walrus is one of the worst mixed stereo Beatles uh, records ever. One of their worst mixed songs because it starts off in that kind of like, oh, the drums are hard left, the bass is hard right. It all sounds dreadful in that way. It starts off like that, and then halfway through, when they were printing the stereo mix, they just something that they did. There's a there's a weird effect in the middle, um, a weird sound effect after which the song picks up again. And they just, because of the way they mixed it, could not derive stereo tracks from that. They they mixed down during the original production. So, <laughs> pardon me. So, um, on the stereo record, it changes into a completely different mode of stereo back, at that point, which is something they had back then, where, to create a false sense of stereo, the way that we now, if we took a mono track, like, say, Disney does when they re-release their old films, we might take a monotrack, add a bit of reverb to it to give it a bit of stereo space. In those days, they hadn't thought of that. So they went, what can we do to give mono tracks a stereo space? I know, we'll do a phase shift so that all of the bass comes out of one speaker and the treble comes out of the other. And what this creates is this horrible, like, I don't know what it sounded like on the original stereo machines that they justified this with. But it is you you literally can't listen to it on the headphones or you'll fall over. If you listen to it on speakers, it's like, oh this is horrible And this happens halfway through the song. Well, he found the stems he found the track so he's like, I can actually mix a proper stereo mix of this that doesn't go weird in the middle and hey while I'm at it, let's not have bass hard left drums hard right let's let's mix it as if it was a modern production. I'll use all my current like knowledge to mix it as if. and he does this across the album. So what you've got is these Beatles songs that sound. Modern. They sound completely new, like they were recorded for this. I love the Love album; it's brilliant. Mm. So, I think it was two years ago, maybe one year ago, but I think it was two years ago. They went. It's the anniversary of Sgt. Pepper. How about we just do that for a full Beatles album instead of making this weird mashup remix? What if we just do that? So they did. They found as many of the stems as they possibly could. They dug them all out. They separate them all out, and they mixed it like a modern album. But while they were at it, they threw out the stereo mix the old crap stereo mix and they brought out the mono mix and they listen and they and they used every decision that went into making that to make the new stereo mix so every because there's differences there's stuff that was like effects that were done on the mono mix that mm. they just didn't know about whoever made the stereo mix so they didn't do it so we haven't been hearing them for years unless we've been like a weirdy oldy beardy fan and have been listening in mono so they get the mono album out they're like right what are all the decisions they made to make this Let's iron out the faults. I mean, for example, there's a whole song which on the stereo album is played at the wrong speed and has been for 50 years. (laughs) Um, And so they fixed that. And of course, you know, people are going like, oh, this is at the wrong speed, but they're wrong. It is back to being at the right speed again. Stuff like that. Well, now it's the anniversary of the White Album. So they've done it to that as well. The White Album is a weird beast because it's so... um, It's kind of like a connoisseur Beatles album. Like, it's difficult for normal people to enjoy, including myself. Um, And I say including myself, because I've I've now just, through various things, ended up listening to all the Beatles songs ever lots of times, so I know them very well. So I now, finally, like the White Album, but it took me a while. It was a journey, because that's the one with that weird soundscape on it. Um, That's the one where everyone is they're not working together really anymore. So they're all like, everyone's going like, I've made a weird song, I've made a weird song. And they're all really odd, but listen to it a few times and you're like, oh, okay, actually, this is quite good. And now I think it's brilliant. And um, so, and I had no idea this was happening until the day it happened, except that when they did the Sgt. Pepper re-release, they hinted that the next one might be the White Album. And suddenly yesterday or the day before, bang, they just dropped it on us i hadn't noticed any fanfare any build-up i assume there was some among like like died in the world beatles fans but um it came out and i've just like just this morning listened to a couple of the mixes uh just with the preview on itunes and it's amazing what they've done because they've taken so on sergeant pepper and on the love album if you had a guitar in the right say they've moved it you know closer to or they've or they move it around or they do some effect with it and it's, but it's still a mono track of a guitar that they've put somewhere that's more like a modern recording. Mm. Because that's what we've been doing. You know, like studio recordings for years, if they weren't recorded with weirdy stereo microphones, have all been mixed like that. Like everything from the 80s and 90s and all of this have been like a mono recording of a guitar mixed into a particular position. So it sounds modern. But this album has a lot of slow ponderous tracks on them which are just i don't know like mccartney playing on his guitar like his acoustic guitar and singing along to it things like that there's like two or three of that and in those ones i don't know how they've done it i don't know if they had access to recordings that that weren't used originally but it's like you're in the room the guitar is they've probably just used one of those stereo wide effects that i was mentioning before but it honestly sounds like a new recording recorded with stereo microphones on one guitar it's quite incredible what they've done um and i haven't listened to all of it um like i say i've only listened to a couple of the tracks and only then the itunes preview but just from that it's it really is night and day and so therefore i i want to go back on something i said yesterday on twitter which is the white album is one of the later beatles albums and so connoisseurs already listened to that one in stereo the guys who listen in mono they already listened to the white album in stereo because although there was a native mono mix there was also a native stereo mix for this one. And mm. so um, at, with differences, some of the songs are different lengths, stuff like that. And the stereo one is generally the favoured one, apart from a couple of bits where people go, well, on the mono album it does this, so that's better. I imagine they've incorporated those little ticks into this because th- that that's the sort of production these have been up till now. So yeah, if you're not interested in the Beatles particularly, but you are interested in this concept of audio reproduction it kind of it rings the same bell in my heart as like this the when i was looking up the changes for the blu-rays for star wars like yeah i don't want them to change the film but i'm interested in the ways they changed it yeah (laughs) i mean especially like the fan restoration for yeah yes you're right you're right this is way more like the harmy de-specialized edition of an album but with in mind making a stereo mix. That's exactly what it is. And it's I find it fascinating. They they weren't in a rush, so they took the time properly.
1: So who knows how much time they spent on just recreating
0: the intent of like tiny effects here and there. Yeah. So I I urge anyone listening to this who's interested in this process either to, you know, get yourself a copy of this new white album or the or the Sgt. Pepper re-release from a couple of years ago or the love album any of them and while you're on a track call up the original track either if you own it or on youtube um, or wherever it happens to be and just listen to the differences and i have i've lost days to just doing this <laughs> J- ju- like just with the sergeant pepper and the white albums a double disc so i'm going to be there for weeks just like i've read articles about the differences i've read forum discussions there are so many tiny changes and decisions that go into this that it is for anyone interested in audio production it's fascinating and on the basic on the most basic level it's um like when you see a colorized photo from the 1940s or something it takes something that you have heard all your life and you associate that sound with old and it goes what if it was recorded today and that on its own it helps you to evaluate the music in a new way Mm. it's fascinating (laughs) i am I don't own this white album yet. I'm obviously going to get it. I'm probably going to find myself listening to the um Sgt. Pepper re-release again later today. I listened to the Love album yesterday. It's flipping brilliant. Just it's it's you got to get, get get these things into your ears. They're really interesting. The end. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Restoration news. Yeah.
1: So we both recommend Threads and the White album. Yes. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I've been um, playing some stuff, watching some stuff. Yeah. I guess we could start with positive things. So uh, Toby Fox released a demo
0: for the um, his next game. Yes. Now, um, I want to urge you not to spoil the last bit of the game because we're only two streams in. Um, I've already, that doesn't count as a spoiler, but initially I didn't know, technically at this point, I don't know that it's a demo for a larger production. Um, I've, I've heard on the grapevine that it is. I don't know how that manifests, but, um. Yeah, and I haven't finished
1: it either. I'm uh, 90 minutes in and, uh.
0: I uh, might I'll be slightly further would. then, depending on playing speed. Yeah, no, we're, we're probably on be. the same uh, place because I, I was uh, kind of rushing through it. And uh, ah, well, I'm sure you'll be much further than then because we were very gradually through it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I have some uh, positives and negatives.
1: Positive mm-hmm. things: uh, the music is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no surprise there. Yeah, and it's a nice upgrade over Undertale because it's clear. Uh, he's uh, got new samples, so it sounds uh, more, um, a bit higher budget in production. Because uh, for, for Undertale, he said that it was just, he just used a bunch of free sound libraries, basically, for his All music right. samples. So, And here it sounds like he can finally afford to buy some music samples. Uh, so it sounds better, and he hasn't run out of inspiration for music, so it's really nice sounding. Yeah. And uh, Stylistically and everything, I, I really liked the uh, first opening when uh, you create a character, you wake up, go to school, and then oh, you go into the set and you're introduced to uh, the uh, premise of it. I liked mm. all that stuff. There is a problem I have, though. It's, uh, it's not that long since Undertale came out. It feels a bit like it were lacking in novelty a bit, uh, because when you actually start uh, playing the game... When you're running around fields fighting enemies, it feels like, well I've done this before.
0: <laughs> oh. Oh I didn't feel that, but um Yeah. I didn't feel that, but the reason I didn't feel that is because I've missed Undertale. It really is mm. it's one of those it's one of those games that comes along maybe once a year if that. Once and and, and you only really hold on to ones from, you know, a, a few per decade where it's like, Okay, everything in this is made perfectly. Undertale is one of my games like that. You know, like how whenever anyone ever asks for game recommendations on Steam, I always say Gunpoint, because that's one. Sleeping Dogs is one. Undertale is one. It really is. It's one of the So, yeah, I, it, obviously this is a less significant production, because it's like, um, here's another one of these. But I've really missed it, so I'm I'm happy to let it into my heart. Yeah, and uh, I guess it,
1: because it is uh, less significant in a production... It's good that kind of everything is of just a bit higher quality. So, and it's, uh, he said that it, it's going to take a really long time before the full game comes out. Right. So I, I'm glad because it means that with more distance, uh, it'll regain some of that novelty because there's not really anyone else doing uh, Undertale-style games. So.
0: <laughs> no, there isn't. And the, this, is a, um, this is a good ploy. Because it means that rather than... We're not just going to approach this game as fans of Undertale. We are going to approach this game at, like collectively, not necessarily me and you, as fans of Deltarune. You know, people are already... Like, there's a lot of Rousey fan art. There will be cuddly toys of him years before the game comes out. Yeah. So when the game comes out, it will be incredibly anticipated and, you know, that'll, that'll shore up the funding for it, I guess. Maybe he's... I don't know if he... Is this a pitch? Is he going to crowdfund the game?
1: Uh, I don't know. He did before. I I don't know. Uh, Who knows? Either way, I'm I'm really glad that he kept making games and are making good ones, because there's been so many indie game creators who make, like, a one-off title and then never come back. Really? Like
0: uh, Phil Fish. Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but that was a different story, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but there's also almost
1: everyone who makes a point-and-click adventure games makes, like, <coughs> one game and then is never heard of again.
0: Like, Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think I know why that is. I mean, I when I was a kid, I tried to make a point-and-click adventure game. And all right, that was a bit of a dream. But, you know, I started designing it and things like this. And, and I, got, uh, I bought an engine that you can make them in. And um, so just from that, before I even start the work, I know what the process of making a point-and-click adventure game is, which is that you start out going... This won't be too hard <laughs> because <laughs> it's a very simple form of game all of the you know it's it's already essentially built you just need to come up with the story and the graphics and and you know put it together and then and then and then you know obviously the reality hits so I can yeah I can well imagine that a lot of people make point and click adventure games and end up going like oh my god that was way harder than i thought okay i've done it now cuz it's achievable but it's a huge amount of work
1: yeah like uh uh the guy who made the Gemini Rue, uh, one, one. Uh, what did I title from years ago? It's yeah. one one of the ones, uh, Why did I uh, act as producer for? Where yeah. the the main person who did all the art, writing, and the puzzles, and just basically the whole game, uh, yeah, he never made a game again. I, I played Gemini Rue like years after it came out, so afterwards I, I like looked up what it did afterwards, and it was... Nothing. <laughs> well,
0: that's, like, that's the same. And this isn't just games. Um, and I'm very excited to say this, um, but uh, my uh, when there is a book recommendation uh, question being thrown out, I always go for The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. It's quite one of my favourite books ever, and it's this. And it's odd because I think it's I think it's more of a woman's book um but um you know if you'll allow those distinctions at all but it, honestly it's one of my favorite books in the world and it's um this odd haunting story about this mysterious circus that appears in the night except it's instead of it being like oh it's like a ghost circus actually it te- it goes into the lives of the people who put it together and why and how they did it and also it treats it as this weird ghostly place that only certain people know about i just think it's absolutely brilliant and the writer of that erin morgenstern Has not written another book. That was released in 2011. It was her debut novel, and she hasn't written another one. Until today. Because I just looked it up. Two days ago, it was announced that her second novel is coming out. Yay! I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pre-order a book. I've never done that before.
1: (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Presumably, now that
0: it's taking a long time, it should be good. Yeah. Oh, she's ever so good. Well, we'll see. It's called the Starless Sea, and I'm definitely going to be buying it. But the Night Circus, I will. As with Sleeping Dogs and Gunpoint, I will spend the rest of my life holding it up as a staple of the books I've ever read. So, if anyone wants to read something a little bit magic and whimsical, then uh, then go for that. Mm. But do try and get the uh, the original like hardback edition because the whole, the physical production of the book is it kind of ties into the story, um because of the you know just the color scheme and the fact that it has this red bookmark in it and so on is it but it doesn't matter you get get whatever kind you can find yeah anyway, <clears throat> wow, well, watched uh, watched a movie, a movie
1: I heard heard about through you Dave but you forgot mm. about it completely
0: yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah when. Uh... Where, listeners, when Peter told me that he'd finally watched this movie that I've apparently been talking about, I've literally I don't have in my brain the recognition of having ever heard of this before, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but apparently I'm the one who introduced
1: you to it yeah, on two separate occasions, Dave <laughs> recommended to me The Red Turtle or rather he said that he really wanted to see it
0: Right, and then uh, no, I think- I, the, I'm looking at it on Google Images not ringing a bell at all. I think I've I've had part, maybe this is the well not the first but maybe this is an early su- sign of like you know dementia or something. I'm losing my memory. Whatever the real version that is, because there is no recognition coming in about any of this.
1: Yeah. So it's a it's a French Japanese
0: um, co-production an animated movie. Oh, it- hang on. I just want to tell you that when I've uh, searched for videos, the trailer is highlighted as having been watched before. So, yep, you're definitely right. I do, I did once know what this was, and I'm going to turn the audio off and play the pictures in the background while you continue to speak. Yeah. So, so it's, a,
1: it's a movie that's like an hour and 20 minutes long. It has mm-hmm. no dialogue in it. There are voices, but uh, it's just uh, kind of grunting and shouting and uh, no, yeah. no discernible language there. And... At the start, it's like a giant Studio Ghibli logo. But in the credits, it's clear that it is genuinely like a co-production. It's not just that they flew in like a writer-director guy who just told everyone what to do. Instead, it is actually animated by French people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of fascinating because if I recounted what happens in the movie, it would sound absolutely demented insane (laughs) and also a bit juvenile and I'm surprised by A how insane the story is and 2 how good it is because on paper if you just read a story synopsis it would sound just like like, there's no way it could be good oh that sounds stupid but when you watch it at least when I watched it, it's really nice. It really works. Story, yeah. re- it's it's all in the execution, really. I guess this uh, French guy who I can't remember the name of, who wrote and directed it, he had, I guess, some imagery and some feelings that he wanted to convey through the film, and he managed to do it, and and that so he managed to make a story that sounds like something that should have been edited by someone. Someone reasonable should have told him, like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's some stupid. No, nobody mm-hmm. told him what to do. Instead, he managed to convey the feelings properly so it actually works. Right. Because uh, for 30 minutes, it's pretty straightforward. It's just a guy who's stranded on an island and trying to escape, and something keeps breaking his uh, boat. And it uh, turns out it's a red turtle that who's an asshole. And then, after thirty minutes, the actual story begins, and at that point, it's like this is stupid. But then, it actually manages to convince you that oh, this is actually fine. Okay. And
0: uh, yeah, it's admirably good. Um, highly recommended. Really lovely. Um, it looks like it's animated on a higher frame rate than usual. um, Yeah, it, it might be than a lot of things are, and um, and it looks absolutely like it is one of those european comic albums come to life yeah and i definitely want to watch this regardless of like i don't care
1: what the story is i just want to see this yeah i mean it's uh, as an audiovisual experience it's really nice because there's no dialogue and uh, not a lot of music either there's like maybe one or two songs in the movie yeah uh, the sound Song. design is really nice. Like when he's wandering around oh. on the island for the first thirty minutes, I just mm. become, uh, you become sucked in because of how it's uh, directed and put together, and the sound design, like uh, the way th- just the island sounds, it's very nice. So, yeah, this, this is a great movie that that you recommended to me, Dave. <laughs> hey, hey, no problem. Happy to help.
0: Yeah, I've I've never heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> It was definitely me. Yes, it was definitely you. It, yeah, it, it came out in 2016, so it, you know it wasn't DeWolfie or something because he's not been here in that time. Yeah. <laughs> huh. All right. Okay. Well, I whatever. Okay. Maybe maybe it was so good that I've succeeded in wiping my memory of it so that I get to watch it again for the first time.
1: Yeah. Or you know what? <laughs> it might have been Favors. <laughs> All then right. Again the odds of him recommending a Japanese animated movie
0: yeah well whatever yeah I mean look at the very least if I wasn't the person who recommended it I was there because I've already watched the trailer apparently according to Google yeah (laughs) there's smoking gum. (laughs)
1: yeah
0: (laughs) (sighs) so yeah the next next book by Erin Morgenstern isn't out until the next November oh come on (laughs) oh So Fine. she just started rioting it. <laughs> well, probably not, no, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's shit on Doctor Who. <laughs> it, it, I'm finally there. I'm finally at the point where I got bored. I mean, up till now, I have been a staunch defender of the new style of Doctor Who because I think it's the old style of Doctor Who making a welcome return, or at least the Americanized excesses of the new Doctor Who toned down to where it's like human again. But, unfortunately, every season of Doctor Who, about four episodes in, they do uh, one set on a base or station. And I've never been anything other than bored out of my tits by it. And, yeah, the same thing happened again here. I mean, it had the vague interest in it of the fact that I was watching an episode I hadn't seen before. But that's no more than any of the other episodes of this sort have of had, and I don't see myself ever watching through it again on a rewatch. It was just, we're on a, sta- it was exactly the same as all the others. We're on a station, somewhere on the station is a monster. We've got to get off the station before it explodes. That, they're all the same. I don't know how they can bear to make these episodes, let alone <laughs> us watch them. Like, because when you've made, there's this, when you've made any creative thing, right? There's the initial, like, oh, we can do this. Oh, we can do this, like, throwing out the ideas. And then you start doing it. And then somewhere along that process, there's the moment when you go, oh, wait, this is actually really crap, and I've just copied this, and it's just boring, and this, and this. And at that point, you fix it, and you iron it out, and you improve it. Now, I don't know if you can do that in TV. You know, maybe you can do reshoots. Probably not on the kind of schedule Doctor Who's got. But at the script stage... There's nothing wrong with the script, by the way. The script is fine. It's not like a flawed, in, like fundamentally flawed script, as far as I can tell. It's okay. It's just not that interesting. But I feel as if at that point they could have gone, oh, wait, nothing happens in this. It's time to do this better. And they didn't. It's just a boring episode.
1: Yeah, well, I have I had problems with the story and in general with the season, it feels... Like there's so many little things where it's yeah. just mashing on the wrong notes and confusing me. Mm-hmm. Like for example, at the start of the episode, they're on a junkyard planet and they yeah. do the uh, Star Wars Episode Two thing of they're talking about things that happened previously. That sounds more interesting. Like <laughs> they were on, a, they were on some other planet and bonding, and now they're friends. It's like. Yeah, show us that episode instead of this where they're already friends. <laughs> and they they find a mine there and it flashes to white and then they wake up on a uh, like a medical spaceship. And at yeah. that point, the way it transitions from them being blown up and then showing up in the hospital, I felt like, "Oh, so this is clearly an illusion from the mine. It's not a normal mine because why yeah. would you just put an exploding mine there? They're now trapped in the mine, but no, that's not yeah, it. no, I,
0: yeah, I thought <laughs> that as well. Or it was, or it was a teleport mine designed to fool you into thinking you've been blown up, and actually now you get involved in some scam or something.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's not it. It's it's not a, a sci-fi idea story. No, they're, they're just on a medical ship.
0: <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> And yeah, then- it's weird how, yeah, do you know what? Now I think about it, it's weird how the way that the story starts and the way that they get to the medical ship does not really pan out as having anything to do with the story. No. <laughs> and and there, are ways that it, there, there are ways that it could have done, like the fact of the, 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 the story was about this energy-consuming little beast. Mm. There's, surely there's a way that he could have consumed something that injured them and got them put on this medical thing and he stowed away or whatever, you know, there there must be a way to tie the story together. But instead, no, it was just, they might as well have literally just stood on a warp pad and been teleported into the next episode.
1: Mm. And, again, another example of, like, mashing the wrong notes, when the alien was revealed, the the appearance, they had, like, horror music, and everyone's reacting to it, oh no, look at that horrifying alien. And it is, like, a, a cute, cuddly little bear. Well, yes, but I think that was supposed to be a joke. Yeah, but it it didn't land from me. It felt like again d- yeah.
0: dissonant. It's like I know is- what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. I don't like. I wouldn't have liked it if they'd gone too far the other way and had a like. Wah, 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 it's actually really little, but mm. I know what you mean. With no transition between the two styles, it was kind of yeah. There was there was a sort of a disconnect there. Yeah, because it, it's one could argue
1: that, oh, it's just like old who with the hokey aliens and the music that should take it seriously. But back then it wasn't as calculated as this, the appearance of the aliens. They were genuinely trying to create scary aliens in the episodes where they had scary music. It's just that they, and by
0: the, and, and by the,
1: like, if you talk to people who were kids at the time, they succeeded. Yeah. And that's why it actually worked in the older ones. Uh, and here it's like a CG team and like it's, it's a very calculated thought out design that was giving all the money in the world. It wasn't made in a week by someone who was given absolutely no money
0: or training or time or anything. No, it was, it was great. It was a really good little beastie. I mean, I yeah. can't help but think I've seen it in something before and I can't think what I'm thinking of, um, It looks like, as I look at it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a screenshot from... And then I go, oh, what's it? What? I really feel as if I've seen this design in something else before. Something along the lines of a, like, oh, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of um, a mixture between every dragon in How to Train Your Dragon and um, the the lizardy guy from Monsters, Inc. um, And the alien from... um, uh, Lilo and Stitch. So, like, basically... Yeah. yeah. Oh, and Stitch. I was actually thinking of a different alien in Lilo and Stitch, mm. but also Stitch. So, actually, it is kind of a mashup of existing designs, but I likes it. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: so the episode is alternatively, like, either boring, because it's yet another episode where they're on a base, and I kept waiting on... Surely, this isn't it. Yeah. Surely, at some point, they'll pull the rug out and reveal what's really going on, because they wouldn't be... That's stupid to just make an episode where they're on a medical ship and there's an alien trying to eat them. Surely yeah. there's nothing more to it because of how they transitioned from the mind to waking up. It's like, no, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then you have a little dissonant bit where it feels like, Wait, what? So, and almost every episode of the season has been like this, where it feels like there's too many story threads going on, so... They aren't doing justice to anything. It feels very shallow, and they're they're not executing it very well. And uh, and we're halfway through the season now, so it feels like is this what happened with their writers' room, where every episode is equally bad instead of <laughs> it, it having been like a virtuous circle where everyone is helping each other out to make all the scripts better. Instead, it's like everyone threw way too many ideas into every episode so that it feels like that's they're possible overstuffed. or it's
0: possible that or it's possible that it the writers room isn't working in the way that we anticipated or imagined because hmm. i've heard a lot of people refer to you know this chibnall <coughs> written episode this written by another person and of course the um uh, the rosa parks episode uh, was written clearly and it was advertised as having been written by an author so like Actually, the episodes do seem to be authored by individuals. So what is this writer's room thing? I wonder if they were just all invited into a room at the start and they all, like, bounced ideas back and forth then. And then they all go away and write their own episodes or something.
1: Yeah, I hope it isn't the case that they, it, they went in and they were all just a bunch of yes-men. They kind of patted each other on the back and they didn't pr- actually provide proper brutal critique, which I feel like every one of these stories should have had. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they were too nice to each other because that—that's something that y- happens a lot where they—they they, they didn't challenge each other enough because they weren't, I guess, comfortable enough with each other. They weren't good enough friends that they could just <laughs> call
0: each other out and not create like a huge rift between them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. but clearly there is, clearly there is room for improvement with The Writer's Room. And I, and I do yeah. still think The Writer's Room is the answer. Um, but they've just, I don't know, they've not gone far enough yet. Yeah. And also, now, I've only seen it the once and I didn't, I, I don't think hard enough about TV when I'm watching it, so I'm not, you know. Mm. But um, this one did have the same problem that they've all had, like that every episode has had up till now, which is that, oh, except the first one, which is that it gets to the the end as it were it gets to it gives you a sort of climax and then it goes well that was the bit we were leading up to so let's not really end the episode so you had the the spiders one you don't really find out what happens to the spiders you just find out what happens to the big tentpole spider the climax spider um this episode the whole thing was that they were like they'd been taken away from the tardis and the sonic screwdriver wasn't working anymore yeah well we never see any of that get fixed no, the, the, the sonic screwdriver it fixes itself. In th- yeah, just some right. Did, I didn't miss something, did I? Halfway through the episode, she just starts using it again. Yeah, it, it, it. And in fact, not no, not halfway through the episode. It was the key pivotal moment of the climax, like the 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 plan that she came up with. Up till now, her early on in the episode, her sonic screwdriver is sucked of energy by this little monster, and at the end, semi spoiler. She her plan involves closing a door at a at a pivotal moment, which she does with the sonic screwdriver. Did I miss something? Did did uh, she, uh, she at
1: fix some it? point she's wandering down a corridor and uh, the, the sonic screwdriver? Uh, she, I think she's just pressing on it and it starts glowing and she oh. just praises it because it's brilliant because it fixed itself.
0: Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So um, and this is the and and the, okay. <laughs> That I don't like, in, in a, and the reason I don't like it is that I have heard, I don't really agree with this necessarily, but I've heard criticisms that this Doctor doesn't have her own set of traits and personalities yet that are hers and that aren't that you can't say, oh, well, that's from David Tennant or that's from Matt Smith. Mm. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I, in fact, I do. I don't agree with that. But um, people have said it. And so I feel as if the show ought to be addressing it. But one of the things that the people who make that criticism bring up is that at least in the first episode, we have that brilliant bit where she tinkers together a sonic screwdriver. And so we we know she's this inventor, and she can, like, make stuff out of stuff. This episode, why on earth not have her pull some wiring out of a wall and fix the sonic screwdriver herself using ingenuity, especially given that part of the theme of the episode is that there's a man who tinkers together stuff with his ingenuity to make piloting the ship possible.
1: Yeah, and when you mentioned the the TARDIS and the screwdriver, it just reminds me that there's way more story threads going on in this episode than like, I could hold in my brain at the same time, because there's like, the guy who's pregnant, the, the, the old yep. army commander person, <clears throat> the pilot, and... The, the android
0: servant guy. And... This is this is one of the problems with base episodes. Because yeah. it means that you're put in this in a faculty sorry, a facility that there's no version of this that doesn't need at least four or maybe five crew members. They're hmm. basing it on like, you know, real life space the space station, things like that. Or submarines or stuff like that. But you still need four or five people. You can't just have one guy. So they have to have this cast of characters and so they have to have their own stories and their own eclectic like backstories and abilities and skills and and like priorities and it's all it's too much for a 45 minute or whatever it is TV program. if it was like the old days where you get four half hours to play with, maybe but not for this length of episode and so it always comes out clumsy what they could have done okay so the guy who's pregnant the point of that was uh, an interesting space version of. The, a reason for an ambulance to be used, right? Because this is an ambulance. It, yeah. it, it turns out they're on an ambulance. And uh, they're being taken to medical treatment, but they're not there yet. So, um, so hence, the pregnant person, let's make it interesting, let's make it space, it's a man. Now, what they did manage to do, which I thought was good, was tie that into the, uh, the idea of, because you've got Ryan, who's this, I think he's the name, who's this kid who's like, a big part of him is his absent father figure. Um, so they they brought that, and of course that's the that's the purpose of his relationship with um older guy. Um, that, that, fine, that, that all tied together, but then that perhaps should have been the focus of the episode and not this random little monster that kind of never really quite mattered except to make them run around and say things.
1: Yeah, because the real threat was someone stealing the TARDIS from the junk planet because... So they had to rush there because it was left behind. So it felt like, oh, she says that. Oh, we have to. To me, g- that yeah, to me that was the main point. But they never really brought it up again, did they? No, it didn't matter. I mean, they even went to like the space hospital, and everyone at the end of the episode. And then at some point, I guess they got a lift back, and it's like, oh no, no worries. The TARD was, tardis was
0: right where they left it. Well do they, so do they say that? Because my memory of it is that the episode ends with them going like, well, I guess now we're on the way to hospital. And then, like, that was it. Yeah, there there was a shot of the space station, the hospital
1: station. Right. So they were, they got there. Okay, and did they ever go now to get the TARDIS or anything, or was that just it? Yeah, I think they got a lift back, and
0: then uh, it cut to a preview of the next episode. (laughs) Okay. If that's the case, it happened so fast that I missed it, and I was waiting for it. So goodness knows, like it must have been so slight. Yeah. And yeah, I just did come away thinking, like, well, what about the TARDIS? Yeah, it's like the end of the Spider episode, where
1: yeah, within the span of four minutes, they resolve an amazing amount of stuff that shouldn't be resolved in four minutes. <laughs> yeah, and then like, oh yeah, everything that happened is forget it. Next uh, next episode, it's something completely new and
0: self-contained. Because it's going to be about India, <laughs> yeah. Now that one, I, I I have higher hopes for that one because I think that that's the sort of episode that Chibnall's interested in. He's it's mm. another historical. It's another look at the bad things we did. And like I don't know, I I wasn't into the Rosa Parks episode. I didn't think it was very good, but it what, it went down very well with almost everyone else. So yeah, maybe hey, f- find it baffling because of how cartoony it was. Uh, uh, yeah, I yeah. yeah. But whatever, it, yeah, whatever. It went down well. <laughs> Maybe this is their strength and something. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But but well, the reason. Well, the part of the reason why I say that is that it would be when you're making a boring station episode. There's nothing to lose. But if you get like the topic of racism or like English colonialism and stuff, if you get that wrong. There's a lot more at stake, so I suspect that they will have put a lot more work into these episodes. Yeah, and than uh, they did into the this week's one. You know,
1: yeah, because the the space station one, the 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 sets were cheap, and uh, again, you're on a a space station, and nobody is wearing alien makeup or even alien clothing because, like, the uh, I think the relative of the uh, space pilot. He just looked like a guy off the streets from yeah. today. He was yeah. just wearing like a modern jacket
0: and everything. Like. Well, yes, that I don't mind because that is the that's the focus of this series that I've tuned into that I that I think is fine. I mean, it's a definite decision and it's definite an interesting decision. But this whole series does appear to just be about kinds of people as opposed to aliens and space and time adventures. I'm sure he'll get to them. But this time around, he seems to be uh, <clears throat> establishing this series as one about people talking to each other and, and it, it, talking about their issues and problems and so on. And like, that's fine by me. That's that's an interesting new thing to do, which old Who did keep trying to do, but it always defaulted to. And also, I'm painted blue or whatever. So like, there was a there was a, a clum, particularly clumsy bit in um, um a, a series ten episode, a Capaldi episode where. There was a guy who was just blue from head to foot, and and every time someone went, "You're blue," he'd be like, "Oh, are you a bluest?" And it was me- it was like a racist commentary. And of course, because it was Bill, who is herself black, who said it, she'd be like, "Whoa!" Usually, I'm at the receiving end of this kind of thing, a hey, readers, and it was just like, "Oh, Moffat!" Like, yes, there are yes, there are things to be said there. And if you want to do it that way, there are ways of doing it. This is not the, the the intelligent way of doing it. It looks like Chibnall has just gone, do you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm literally just talking about humans for now. So wherever they go in space, it's humans in space. Which, again, there's an old who aspect to that. It kind of feels like a bit old-fashioned, you know? Yeah, but it feels like an overcorrection. It's, mm. it, it, it,
1: it's becoming like a Star Trek Discovery, where it's yeah. a ship full of aliens.
0: Never see them. yeah that's fair actually yes in discovery you only had that one that one main alien that that ever really mattered wasn't it yeah the token Um, alien guy yeah even though there was a really cool like android on the like not not like data but like a robot type person a cyborg that's the word i'm looking for on the ship like uh, on the bridge it's like what i want to know about this yeah (sighs) anyway so so yeah it was it was boring i only got halfway through and i just Got bored and stopped. Um, yeah. And then yesterday at lunch, I watched the rest. Uh, and I watched it without Abby because even though Doctor Who is one of the things we definitely watch together, it didn't. It, this one just didn't matter, and that's that's rare.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a completely forgettable, just filler episode. And it makes me wonder: like, would this series have been better if it was only six episodes for the entire season? It's becoming like uh, with the Black Mirror, where. Every season with more than three episodes has just been terrible, I
0: think, <laughs> which yeah. is now half the series. <laughs> I don't know, because while I get that and I kind of agree, um, that would, then we'd be, or at least I would be complaining from a different angle. I'd be going like, well, yeah. w- how? what if I could have had a whole series of this? You know what I mean? If it had been good. Like, I think six episodes is not enough. And it would have been annoying, yeah. Especially given the disaster that is the recurring uh, problems with scheduling. We have now found out. I think. Oh, I think. I think this we found out last time we talked about it. But you know, allegedly there is a, there isn't going to be a series next year. There isn't going to be a Christmas special this year. And it's just oh, well, then you've you've screwed up the one thing I knew you were doing right, which is not having moffatty scheduling problems.
1: Yeah, but instead it's like well, t- 2020. <laughs> For the next season
0: <laughs> yeah that's i can't quite i can't quite express how bad i think that is because it sounds so silly when i do mm. you know because it's like oh what there won't be doctor who on for a while like who cares but it, it it does matter um i think you put it the best when you said that like kids are supposed to grow up with this yeah and how are you meant to do that if you've only got about what like let's say you've got about 12 years when you're a full-on child if if the thing you're supposed to be growing up with is only on for six of those like that's not enough it is this is supposed to be like a season a series that's on
1: like clockwork like every year it should be on every year (laughs) at
0: the same time so at least i think in the old days it used to be on twice a year Mm. i'm not sure about that but just looking at how many ones were on it it seems that way yeah, and, and at some point
1: uh, after the 2005 uh, kind of incarnation, it started becoming very erratic in its schedule. Yeah. It started feeling like it's never on. And uh, yeah. I was doing it again.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not good enough. Ah. And it's a real shame because, you know, and, and a lot of people are saying this, but like anything at this stage, anything wrong with the production. It, it, is liable to be blamed on the female Doctor. And that's not good enough. This needed to be perfect for a couple of years, after which it could go off the rails a bit.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I feel like they've they've let down the cast. Yeah. If, if this is the level of quality they'll have towards the end, and then it's, you know, it's just off for a year. It's <laughs> like,
0: what the hell was yeah. that? We'll ask ourselves in a year. <laughs> I mean we've still got plenty of episodes to go so yeah. hopefully hopefully it's it's in the back end of the series there's good stuff but it's not yeah. looking
1: great but uh, we we can be delusional cautiously optimistic uh, who fans i mean yeah it's our lot in life
0: yeah and it it seemed like for once it wasn't going to be but it is this series seems to have all the same problems but from a different direction as they did under Moffat but he's still got time. Chibnall's got time to pull it round. The, what really confuses me is that, like, he's been literally waiting his whole life for this. I don't know why he doesn't have better fanfics already lined up. Yeah. I mean, maybe
1: in a more stripped-down form, all of these episodes yeah. are ideas that he had, but then they just dumped a shed load of
0: more shit into every episode, and now they're broken. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um... So yeah no I'm not uh, I'm not quitting yet I'm not noping mm. out of the series or anything but this was a here's the thing it's not that this was a particularly low point episode and that's the problem mm. it this was yet another episode where it's just on and it's okay and it had great lines in it there were good bits that I really liked but they were lines as opposed to I'm I, I'm kind of okay with the idea of a of an episode where you're mostly there just to spend time with the people. I'm okay with a whole series of that, mm. but it, it it has to not be distracting. And this episode, it was distracting to me how nothingy the actual story was that I was spending time with characters in. And if, you know, so like, I love a bottle episode of things where it's just like these characters are stuck together and they talk to each other and that's it. I like those. A lot of people complain about them. I like them. The, the Fly episode of Breaking Bad, loved it. Um, but if they're all going to be that, then you have to come up with a way of hiding it. I don't know. No, it's not quite struck the balance yet. Hopefully they will. We'll see. Yeah. And uh, we'll know they've run out of ideas if they have a
1: time, time loop episode in the season. Cause there uh, I watched uh, a lot of sci-fi series, and uh, I think every single one of them has one or several time loop episodes.
0: <laughs> what was I watching recently that had a time loop episode? Was it Doctor Who? No, there was something we were watching just recently that was really. It must have been TNG. You know? Oh, that's it. Yeah, we've started watching Deep Space Nine. Ah, in our in our big long. TNG watch through we've we've hit the deep space 9 point and we've started watching it very interesting i remember deep space 9 as a sort of a uh, slightly more dour and as a kid slightly more boring uh, version of star trek but that was still perfectly acceptable and i watched it week in and week out and i liked it and i was a fan but i was never quite as on board as i was with TNG uh i can see what uh, but but big star trek fans say it's the best one uh and the way that the reason they say it's the best one is for reasons of um you know, it's about intrigue and espionage and politics and stuff. And I've always gone, "Yeah, that sounds boring." <laughs> yeah. Well, I I watched it. Well, it's probably ten
1: years ago now. <laughs> yeah. I watched it uh, a, a bit later after it came out, and I was watching you know, TNG, all of it, and then Deep Space yeah. Nine, all, all of it. And the first season, again, it's uh, as usual with Star Trek, it's the weakest one. But after that, yeah. I've thought. Pretty much season two onwards, it's really good and great. And it's not because of just oh, it's spy intrigue or whatever, it's just the setting and the characters. It really starts gelling together, and they have a lot of really good stories in it. And they I feel like good. they really expand on and develop the
0: Star Trek setting in interesting ways. Well, that's good. Um, but it's been very interesting because the first half of the first episode is killer, it's great. Oh straight out of the gate you are looking at a completely different form of filmmaking than tng because tng is this quite we love it because of the characters but that's kind of the only reason like the actual like filmmaking is very pedestrian it's just they're pointing the camera at the set and people saying things and then it'll zoom in and go Duh, and then it'll be the break or whatever straight from the off the emissary the first like scenes are these incredible space battles like worthy of star wars rather than star trek but 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 also kind of like you can see where Battlestar Galactica's remake got it from it's that sort of stuff yeah and, and uh, it, i think it's some of the same writers so <laughs> really yeah and the, the 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 characters are fascinating immediately they all clash in interesting ways they all meet in interesting ways Kira Nerys is brilliant never knew that when i was a kid and then the second half of the episode is a bit more like oh what's happening and then you get two straight episodes which is how far we've got now of bog standards, season one TNG, and the characters have gone back to being kind of boring again. The Doctor's just a twerp, and he's just a pest. And like Kira's still good, but um, uh, Avery Brooks, I think is his name, uh, the guy, the, the guy in charge, Cisco. He's good, but he's a bit too stage acting at this st- at this point. Uh, I need to settle into that. Um, Dax is just like. So you're an interesting character because you've got this worm in you, and you've been you've been alive for thousands of years. Will we ever mention it? No, she's just a woman who works there. Um, that it and is getting perved on by people. Um, O'Brien is good. Finally, he's got a personality, um, so that's okay. But like, and obviously Quark and Odo are brilliant. But it's yeah. It basically episodes two and three are suddenly normal Star Trek, where episode one was huge budget obviously they can't do that all the time but like the writing was felt bigger budget and now it's just back to like okay you write one okay <laughs> Yep. <laughs> well it gets better yeah exactly oh yep. <laughs> don't worry we will absolutely be sticking with it um but uh i just wish i kind of wish that season two was what ran concurrent with the last season of tng so that we could have two good star treks at once you know i Mm. suppose it is actually because this is the second to last season of tng that this is running during ah yeah this is season six of tng season one of ds9 and then so i guess it goes final season of tng second season of ds9 when it gets good at what point does cisco's hair move down to his chin because that's the point at which i remember it getting good i can't remember it's been so long since i watched it but but that was when it got really good that was the exact same as with riker he grew a beard series got good yeah and you're saying that they ran concurrently
1: like season two and final season of (coughs) tng Uh, yeah what a time to be alive for nerds when you have peter it was let me tell you
0: yeah (laughs) were you watching at the time
1: uh vaguely i wasn't
0: really that invested in it at the time but i can imagine if you were were. (laughs) me and my friends were and this was not only that but it was also do you remember there was a sort of a, a renaissance time for nerds about 10 years ago when we realized that we were now the ones being catered to but also we weren't nazis yet that little time when the when the geeks like geek culture became a thing and it became the main culture but it hadn't turned evil yet well or boring Well, that, that was what it felt like, because in the UK anyway, I I don't think this is true in America, but in the UK, it was not nerd TV. Star Trek was Wednesday tea time on one of the four channels available, and it was like the only thing on, and it was one of the two BBC channels, and DS9 was Thursday nights, and it was normal TV. Everyone watched it. If they, I mean, like, if they didn't watch it, okay, but they didn't go like, nerds, you watch Star Trek. It was just a normal thi- opt- an optional thing to watch. And also, be- when they were between seasons, they would cycle in uh, repeats of Quantum Leap, that sort of thing. So yes, it was. It was really great. It was a really great time to be watching TV with your dinner. Hmm. It was really great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because yeah. as well as that, like so now me and Abby are watching these and they're still good and we're having a nice time. But what you know what you haven't got? You haven't got... Now and then there'll be a dedicated night of TV where the cast are interviewed and they're the same age that they are in the program. You don't go to the shops and there are magazines with Picard on the front. Well, okay, you do get that now, but they're throwbacks. Whereas at the time it was like, what will happen in the next episode? It was like X-Files was on. It was so good. (laughs) (laughs) This was was basically the year X-Files started and was at its best. No, I think maybe series 2 was when it was at its best which was when DS9 was on it was so good can we go back to the 90s I know it's an old thing and I know that we've like we're now at the point where it's like it just sounds like we're saying that we're old but it really was that good yeah
1: and then in the 2000s we got Doctor Who and uh, Torchwood airing at the same time yeah (laughs) wow yeah
0: I never watched Torchwood because it looked terrible. Uh, Do you know what? Maybe you should now because it's so terrible. (laughs) But with the distance of time, you might find it funny. Yeah. (laughs) Or I'll just wish I was
1: dead rather than keep watching it.
0: Well, I don't know. Yeah. My memory of it is that it was so oddly confused between those two emotional responses. Like, one of the weirdest things about it was that it was a children's, like, Production. It was like kids' TV. It was produced and directed and written the same as Doctor Who was, except it was supposed to be adults, so they kept throwing in these sex jokes. But it was as if the sex jokes were written by like people who don't know what sex is. The most memorable moment was there was this bit where a, a gay man and a bisexual man are in a room together, and they mention that one of them's got a watch. And he says something like, Hey, if we get a minute together, we can do that thing you do with the watch. And they go, Uh... And we all went, what? <laughs> what? What do you do with a watch? Like a pocket watch, like not on not on your arm, like a like a like a rabbit with a waistcoat, that kind of watch. And like we're all going, what? Do, is that even a joke? Or did you just go like, uh, sex? It was so <laughs> so puerile. And because of that, it was quite good. I might rewatch it myself. Yeah, it was awful.
1: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> We do a lot of things that
0: make us question what we're doing with our lives. Do you know about the Chibnall episode? Do you know about Chibnall's inaugural, like, his most memorable episode of Torchwood, which made us a little bit worried that he was going to be in charge of Doctor Who? No. Did you see see the Cyberwoman? No. Okay. Wait, I think you linked me a clip from the Cyberwoman when we were kind of building up to this season of Doctor Who. The Cyberwoman is the one where she is It's meant to be a Cyberman, but it's a woman. So, of course, it's just a woman, but in a metal bikini, and maybe with, like, a little bit of noggin uh, plastic. And, uh, And she's just, like, a sexy woman, but she's a Cyberman. And the way that they defeat her is that they throw barbecue sauce on her so that she gets eaten by a pterodactyl that's never been mentioned before. (laughs) just they're like oh yeah we've got a pterodactyl in the base so we should throw this barbecue sauce because as everyone knows pterodactyls like barbecue sauce and sure enough a pterodactyl swooped down and ate her and that was how the story resolved so in those days he was ending his stories it maybe maybe we should be glad that he stopped yeah i mean
1: maybe that's how the season finale will end (laughs) oh i hope so yeah (laughs) we'll have a gender swap the Cyberman again and we'll have a gender-swapped uh, Dalek and yeah. uh, they'll throw barbecue sauce on them and the pterodactyls come.
0: I know that it's no longer okay to do this in real life but I do still laugh at the like 1980s and thereabouts trope of going oh well it, we're going to do a female version of this thing so it's going to have a bow on its head yeah, and, and eyelashes and I don't know I feel like I would like to see a Dalek like that. <laughs> yep.
1: And they'd be able to have like making of stuff just like when George Lucas was making the lightsaber fight at the end of uh, Attack of the Clones yep and talking about like yeah yeah, everyone's been wanting to see something like this fans have been really looking forward to seeing a gender swap Dalek <laughs> yeah and it's just pink with a bow on it <laughs>
0: I mean, that is the, that is basically the extent to which uh, Torchwood approached these topics, so hmm. we shall see. Um. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's really stupid. Yeah. Oh, I really, this is, I've really wanted to live in a world where Doctor Who justifies its success by being good. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it, even though it's rubbish most of the time. But I want it to be good. And that's why I've been on board with this new, like, it's people having relationships version of Doctor Because that kind of sounds like what I'm after. But it's not, is it? No. Oh. I think uh, Shibnall
1: might have been damaged from writing too many terrible shows and episodes. It's, yeah. That's actually how he writes now.
0: <laughs> Maybe it always was. I mean... We don't know what happened with his one thing that people like, which is uh, Broadchurch series one and three. Mm. Series two nobody liked. <laughs> Watch Broadchurch if you haven't. That the first series is good. It's not like quite. It's not as good as uh, Happy Valley, but it's it's in the ballpark. It's a good TV show um, about uh, a crime. Although the ending's a bit weak, but the mm. uh, all of the character stuff getting there is good, and the cast is stellar, and it's really good. Go watch it. Mm. Yeah, if I remember. Yeah. I mean, at some point.
1: It took me a few years to watch The Red Turtle, but eventually I did.
0: Yeah, yeah. And by the time you watch it, I'll have never heard of Broadchurch, and I can watch it again and enjoy <laughs> it for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, should we uh stop recording? Yeah, probably.